I'd like to thank the library here for inviting us to read. It's a lovely idea to be reading with uh, UCD, and it's wonderful to hear people reading us Gaelga. I'd also like to congratulate people for this wonderful display. It's great to see our book there. I'm just going to read a little bit from a short story called Lunar Ladies. I sort of got the shock of my life when I was uh, doing the Trinity course. We were told that we had to have a short story ready for, for this publication very early in the term. And I thought, oh gosh, this is the first story I've ever written and this is my first time reading. It's also everybody's first time reading and I must say everybody read so well. I'm terribly nervous. Um, but anyway, I'll take a deep breath and continue. But uh, this, this story I read, at least I'm going to read Lunar Ladies, it was always a title I wanted to use, but I also thought I wanted to write a little bit from the point of view of the older woman. And it concerns uh, three older ladies that meet on New Year's Eve and they make their wishes. Uh, so I'm not going to read the whole story, so I'm just telling you a little bit about it. And they put their wishes on the back of a portrait in the room. Nobody else sees their wishes. And, uh, you know, in this country, you're not supposed to have any sexual desire or any libido or anything like that after you're 30, I think. But in actual fact, it does exist until the grave, I think. So from that point of view, I just wanted to pay homage to the older lady. So I'll stop after a little while. Her tea trolley is set. The cups are placed upside down on saucers stacked on plates. Annie's Sunday soirees are an event written into the social calendar of the many women of her acquaintance. But this Sunday is different. It is the Sunday before the New Year and only her two best friends are invited. The bottom shelf of the trolley hides the sweet delicacies that will follow the egg sandwiches. She looks in the big gilt-framed mirror, pins back the grey curl on her forehead with a silver slide and then adjusts her dark glasses. She scans her figure from head to toe. Annie is wearing her favourite dress given to her by her best friend Hilda. A knitted dress of deep royal blue fits snugly on her four foot ten inch frame. The pink pom-pom slippers complete the outfit. She smiles at her reflection. The doorbell rings. Coming, she hums. She lifts the buzzer phone on the wall of her living room, opening the front door. Hope I'm not too early. Hilda kisses Annie on the cheek. Delighted to see you, Hilda. I'm more than ready. Hilda places her fur coat carefully behind the white settee and hands Annie a small box, a few eclairs for later. The low table in the centre of the room is covered with paper cuttings of theatre reviews and a green leather-bound diary containing her meticulous daily entries. The afternoon light slants through the broad windows of Annie's living room. It is an old purpose-built apartment block, one of the first built in Dublin, not far from the sea in Dunleary. The bell rings again and Annie lifts the buzzer phone. Come in if you're good-looking. Entre, s'il vous plaît. Annie and Bonnie embrace each other. We're all here now, Annie says. That time of year thou mayest in me behold. Annie makes this pronouncement as if she's about to say mass. You look terrific, Bonnie. Your hair is getting blonder and you're getting younger looking. I swear to God I don't know what you're doing to yourself, Hilda says almost accusingly. Bonnie looks in the mirror and chuckles. I have to say, folks, I'm sorry I didn't go blonde years ago. Whoever said youth is wasted on the young was right. 
Bonnie speaks with the energy of a bossy PE teacher. She dresses much younger than her years. Today she's casual. Her blue jeans and tennis shoes accentuate her athletic figure. <coughs> You're dead right there, Bonnie. We were such innocents that we didn't even know we were either young or good-looking. What sort of Egypt's worry? asks Hilda. You're still good-looking, Hilda, says Bonnie. Hilda's wearing a black trousers suit with a white crisp cotton blouse underneath. A string of pearls frames her neckline. Will you stop fooling yourself? When you get to my age, the hairdressers have only one style for you, and that's the cauliflower head of curls. <laughs> Hilda, you have to demand more of them. Are you playing any tennis these days, Bonnie? Annie asks. Bonnie's looking into the mirror and reapplying her red lipstick. Yes, Annie, I had a game this morning. I play with three other women and they would beat any young player off the court. Hard to believe they're in their 70s. They still have power in their elbows and strength in their swing. Their joy in the game has rubbed off on me. How often do you play, Annie? Is curious. Twice a week. I'd play more often if I could, but tennis is like sex. You can't do it alone. She looks at Annie for a response. She's warming up, trying a few shots. Annie smiles, lifts her small shoulders and swings back to Bonnie. Annie may be small, but she likes to project large. She engages in dialogue as though she were pronouncing from a stage. Age is all about confidence. She mulls over her words. Look at that director fellow. I can't remember his name. He's all over the tabloids. He must be in his 60s, going out with that young one. His own daughters are older than she is. Hilda's on the edge of her seat. Go on, she says, urging Annie to continue. Hilda loves the theatre gossip, but Annie will say no more. She's made her point. Hilda has seen two husbands to the grave. Sure, I didn't live at all. Got no pleasure out of them. I never knew which end of me was up. Don't ask me why I bothered marrying either of them. Bonnie and Annie listen in sympathy and say nothing. When Hilda was a young girl, her dark looks were compared to those of Sophie Loren. She and her sister were the first to be invited up to dance in the Metropole Ballroom in O'Connell Street. Her dancing days were short-lived. Marriage took away her dancing feet, and after she gave birth to four children in quick succession, her likeness to Sophie Loren faded. So did her marriage. It was the thing to do back then, Bonnie sighs. What was? Get married. You never got caught, Bonnie. No, and look where it got me. My head was always in the moon. I don't know where my forties and fifties went. What was I doing for those years? The three women sit in the centre of the living room. The apartment was left to Annie by her aunt and uncle over forty years earlier. They were both Abbey actors, and the room is a shrine to their memory. Framed photographs line up a gallery of remembrances. The walls are green. Annie likes to call it her green room. The acting heroes look down from every side of the room, three white sofas surround the low table. Well, Annie, what did you see in the theatre festival this year? Annie takes a deep breath and rises in the chair. The crucible. It was bleak. I left at the interval. Bonnie is surprised. She too had seen it. My God, Annie, not again. You didn't go back after the interval. No, I couldn't hear that fellow who played the father. He couldn't project. Actors can't project anymore. 
She sticks out her chin and fiddles with her hearing aid. I don't know, Annie. I enjoyed it. I think Arthur Miller is the master. None of those young ones know how to write a play anymore. They're all full of the rambling monologues now. Bonnie knew the theatre scene in Dublin. She spent most of her youth directing other people's talents. It was now her time to live her own life. Annie rises gracefully from her seat and goes into the kitchen. She's about to perform the tea ritual. Hilda looks at Bonnie and smiles. We have to let her. It is her party. How did your Christmas go, Hilda? Mother of God, I'm glad it's all over. I was stuck in a corner at my niece's table and I thought I'd never get home. Hilda's breathless. Do you know what they gave me? A single cup and saucer wrapped up in fancy paper with a blooming big bow on it. Now, if that's not a reminder that I live alone, I don't know what is. I can't wait for the new year. Annie comes back, pushing her trolley to the centre of the room. Hilda turns up the three cups and their saucers and Bonnie pours the tea. The egg sandwiches are eaten and, as always, someone says, Annie, you make the best egg sandwiches in the world. The china cake stand at the bottom of the trolley is bedecked with Hilda's chocolate eclairs and Bonnie's Swiss roll. Both have to be sampled. Hilda takes a bite of chocolate eclair and looks at Annie. It's only here that I allow myself the pleasure. The three women laugh. Did you see Nigella last night? Annie looks at her two friends for a response. No, what was she cooking, Bonnie asks. I don't give a fig for what she cooks. Annie says forcefully, I just love looking at the sheer physicality of her performance. She makes me feel hungry. (laughs) Annie blushes and tries to change the conversation. Hilda and Bonnie look at each other. They are used to Annie's crushes on attractive young women. Last year it was a young actress who performed in a lunchtime play in Bewley's. Annie travelled into town every day to see the play. But since her stroke a few months ago, she has become housebound. This year, the object of her desires are television personalities. Can I read out my poem before we start? Bonnie searches in her big red handbag. It's called Archaeology of the Soul. Archaeology? What has that got to do with the soul? asks Hilda. The past, says Annie, authoritatively. Can I begin? Bonnie sits up straight and takes a deep breath. At the funeral of my youth, only one offered a cushioned grave for my remains. Will you marry me, he asked. No, I replied, and then I died. I know who you're talking about, Bonnie. That homosexual fellow. You'd lucky escape, believe me. Finish the poem, Bonnie. Annie commands. Now I am the big O and have opened up myself on the shelf. I want to dance to the tune of sex have babies and catch up on myself. My God, Bonnie, are you mad? How on earth could you have babies at your age? Bonnie is uneasy at her revelation. I know what age I am, Hilda. It's just a fantasy, I suppose. There's an awkward silence. Now to the business that we've all been waiting for. Annie stands up. She takes down the portrait of her aunt and uncle, and turns their faces to the wall. Behind the portrait are sellotaped three sheets of paper. She passes a sheet to each woman. The women read in silence. 
We can write our wishes for next year later, but would anyone like to talk about their last year's wishes? Jesus, Mary and Holy Saint Joseph, Hilda exclaims, if any of my children knew I did this, they'd have me certified. You're not dead yet. Who's going to read out their wishes of last year? Annie is taking control. And so it goes on. Thank you very much.